right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome to the house. It's good to have everybody here in Florence. Thanks so much for showing up. Can we welcome all of our Lawrenceburg Faith Church family? Come on, it's good to have all of you in the house. And again, we know that there are many, many people watching online. Some of you Faith Church family just not in a building today or not back yet. Some of you just decide to watch from whoever you are, wherever you're watching from. We want to say welcome. We say it every week. Come on, we believe that Jesus, he's the hope of the world. Whoever you are, whatever you're going through, your issue, your hurt, your heartache, or your habit, if you'll open up your life to Jesus, it'll be the greatest decision you've ever made. How many of you already know that's true? Come on, can we honor God for his grace and his goodness? Well, listen, we are in week three of a series we started a couple weeks ago entitled The Me Mentality. Everybody say that, The Me Mentality. The me mentality is something that exists in all of us. It's this idea, this attitude that life is about me. It's about mine. It's about I. And that everybody else just exists somehow to serve us. That we're the center of the universe. The challenge with the me mentality is the me mentality runs absolutely contradictory to living a Christ-centered life. Either you can be in the center of your life or Christ can be in the center of your life. But there's really not room for both of us. The me mentality, what we talked about week one, we talked about this idea of living self-sufficient. That a lot of times we feel like life is up to us, how strong you are, how many resources you have, how much knowledge you have, how many degrees you have. And if you're smart enough and strong enough, by God, you can do it. What we found out is that God wants to be our source. He is El Shaddai. He is the all-sufficient one. Come on, somebody. So he can be our strength. He can be our source. He can be our wisdom. You don't have to live life self-sufficient. You can live life dependent on him. Last week, Pastor Chile talked about living a self-centered life. That again, this idea of putting us in the middle is not really biblical. That we're to have the same attitude that was in Christ. That we're to live and serve others. Today, I want to talk about this idea of living a self-governed life. Now, just disclaimer, you're not going to like me today. But that's all right. I'm, I'm okay. I'm secure in what I'm about to say. And we're all going to be better because of it. Amen? It was a horrible setup, wasn't it? Just disclaimer. Self-govern. When I say self-govern, I mean this. It's this idea that all of us, we really strive and we we desire to live this autonomous life, this independent life, right? Like we just want to be independent. We want to live life on our own terms. It shows up a lot of times for all of us who are parents when our kids were young or some of you who are parents when your kids, uh, when you reach this stage, a lot of us, we were kids and we went through this. Anybody remember when you reached the place as parents where you had to ask yourself the question, are my kids old enough to stay at home alone? Right? You know, there's an age where like they got to have a babysitter and there's an age where they don't need a babysitter. But there's a couple years, kind of a year, a gray period where you're not sure, can I trust my kids at home alone or will they burn the house down? Will they kill each other? Will law enforcement be, Right? And when that happens, and we all go there, and it's different ages based on how mature your kids are, but this happens every time you leave your kids at home alone, this conversation happens. Some of you had this conversation, and you remember it. Here's how it went. Child A is doing something that they don't think they should be able to do, but they're going to do it anyways, and child B recognizes they shouldn't be doing it, so child B steps up and says, you ain't allowed to do that. And child A, this is always the response. Some of you said this response. Here Here was the answer. You're not the boss of me. Anybody remember saying that to somebody? I promise you, the first time you left your kids at home, one of your kids said that to one of the other kids. Come on, say it. You're not the boss of me. Now, here's the problem is that mentality that we have as kids. 
it oftentimes follows us into adolescence and follows us into adulthood. This idea that nobody can tell me what to do, that I'm in charge. It's my life. In fact, I would go so far to say this, that there is this, there is this idea that we equate living a self-governed life to a successful life. That the more independent you can be, the better you are. I mean, think about it. We all strive to do that. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. If we can just get old enough that nobody, we don't, have to, we don't have to ask mom and dad for money. We don't have to ask anybody permission to go there. We can go where we want and do what we want. That's what it means to be self-governing. I can do whatever. An autonomous lifestyle is this idea, again, that you can do whatever you want. And even as I talk about it, there's something on the inside of us. We're like, yeah, like I want that. And here's what I would say if you're taking notes is that autonomy often can lead to catastrophe. That if you live a self-governed life, that if you live an independent life, while it feels good and while it's something that culture will tell you you should strive to, Lawrenceburg and Florence, I would tell you this, that again, that autonomy often leads to catastrophe. Let me just give you a couple examples I think we could all agree with. Imagine for a minute if we lived in a society and a culture where there were no rules on the road. You could go as fast as you want to go. Now, I'm just telling you, I would never do 25 again except on my way to 100. Let's go. <laughs> How many people would automatically go faster if there were no speed limit signs? Come on. Those that aren't raising their hands is because you're busy thinking about how fast you would go. <laughs> four-way stop. You come to a four-way stop. Some of you need to literally write this down. You don't know this, but when you come to a four-way stop, the person to your right has the right-of-way. It's not you. Now imagine, again, if there's no rules to the road, if you can just do what you want. Imagine coming to four-way stops. There would be wrecks everywhere because nobody would stop because I can do what I want. I don't have to stop. So is, to live in a culture, in a society where there, are, where there are guardrails, where there are guidelines, where somehow there is, a, there is governed, our self-governing is really a healthy thing. Let me give you another example. Uh, psychology Today is a magazine that obviously writes, topic, writes articles on psychology. They did an article about a decade ago, recently re-released the same information. They did the same poll, had the same conversation, and ironically came out with the same results. Here was the question. They asked a group of people, if you could do whatever you wanted to do and there was no fear of consequences and you know you wouldn't get caught, what would you do? I'll give you a second, Lawrenceburg. Lawrence, what would you do? No consequences, you wouldn't get caught, what would you do? Number one answer, decade from decade, same answer, same number one. You know what it was? I would rob a bank. Don't act like you didn't think of it. A couple of times I was rolling around with a COVID mask like, I could get away with this. I could do this. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Jesus knows. Number two answer, crazy, 10 years apart. Number two answer was the same. If there were no consequences and I wouldn't get caught, number two answer, people ask, what would you do? They said, I would cheat on my spouse. Isn't that crazy? What I'm trying to tell you is that rules on the road, speed limit signs and stop signs and yield signs and lights at intersections and even cultural standards, they somehow, they somehow help us to live underneath other people, that I can't do whatever I want, whenever I want, to whomever I want, and that can often be a good thing. Autonomy often leads to catastrophe. And so what I want to talk about today is this idea that a lot of us are living self-governed lives. We do whatever we want, and we think that's a good thing. We have, we have sipped the tea. We've drank the Kool-Aid of culture that I can just do whatever I want. And as a church, as Christ followers, what we're going to find out today is that God doesn't want you to live a 
self-governed life. He wants you to live a God-governed life. So what I want you to see is this idea of submission. Everybody both campuses say submission. I know it doesn't roll off your tongue well. Submission, this idea of living our lives submitted or underneath the umbrella or the authority of another person is prolific throughout Scripture. Throughout God's Word, and if you're not a Christ follower, you're off the hook. I still think this is a principle that you should adhere to. I still think it's wise. But if you're a Christ follower and you believe God's Word, I want you to know that we are called to live lives that are submitted. In fact, let me give you a lot of examples. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 says this, that we're to submit to governing authorities. Well, that landed well. Should have saved that one for the next service. Now, again, here's the crazy, some of us right away, some of you are like, you're telling me I should listen to government all the time? Let me flip the coin. You're telling me you should never listen to government? God's word says that there is a place that God has positioned every governing authorities, even the ones you don't like and you don't agree with, God positioned them and he uses us and calls us to submit to them. And in our submission to them, even the times we don't agree with them, it helps us become the people God's called us to be. Here's one. Watch this. Ephesians 5.21. Don't clap yet. It gets better. (laughs) Ephesians 5.21. Men, we love. Wives, submit to your husbands. Did you know Paul initiates the family conversation by saying that we're to submit one to another, that not just wives are called to submit to husbands, but come on, husbands, we are called to submit to our wives. Sometimes your wife is the best partner in your life to put a check in your life to keep you going off the road in your direction in life. We're called to submit to each other. Here's one. This is a good one. This is going to land really well, just like the first two. First Peter 2.18 says that we're to submit to our boss. This is going not near as well as I thought it would go. Submit to your boss, but I don't like him. But he scheduled me, and I told him I couldn't work that day. I don't want to work a double. Do you know what? God knew the people he would put in authority over your life called you to submit to under their authority, even if you don't like them. It's easy to submit when you agree. Real submission is displayed when you don't agree with the decision being made. And when you submit to that, God says, I'll use your boss, I'll use the government, I'll use your spouse to help you govern your life in a way that is godly and helps you grow to be the people I've called to be. 1 Peter 5, 5, God says that youth are called to submit to elders. Newsflash, if you're 30 and younger, people who are 40 and older have something to tell you. They can help you, encourage you. They've been where you're going. They've suffered in a way you don't have to if you'll submit your life and just listen to them. Go ahead. I help. Here's another one. Hebrews 13, 7. You ready for this one? You ain't ready for this one. Submit to spiritual leaders. See, we live in a generation of church right now where everybody wants a revelation from a preacher, but nobody wants submission to a pastor where you just want to show up and listen to a message, but you don't want to feel obligated to apply that to your life and have hard conversations. I can tell you that I am where I am in my spiritual journey because I was submitted to leaders, even the ones I didn't agree with, pastors that I was saved under and in my spiritual journey under. When I went and asked them questions, and they said, Steve, here's what you needed to do. I went and did what they said I needed to do as it lined up with God's word. And I didn't like what they told me, but it helped me. The last pastor I served under, I served under for under 10 years, often disagree with his leadership, disagree with how he led the church, and I am the pastor I am today because I submitted my life to him. In fact, when I took over my first church as a lead pastor, I said this, I don't know how to lead a church, but I learned under 10 years of submitting a leader how not to run a church. I'm telling you, see, you learn in submission. Go ahead, somebody. 
And I don't think it's any surprise. James 4, 7 says we're to submit to God. So again, this idea that we want to live autonomous, self-governed, independent lives while it's attractive and promoted by culture. And for sure, there's some attractive things to it. God says, whoa, whoa. At some point, there are people you need to submit to. You need to submit to authorities. You need to submit to your spouse. You need to submit to God. You need to submit. Like there are lots of people we should submit to. If you're taking notes, here's what I would say. It's not going to be popular. If you're submitted to everyone, you're stupid. If you're submitted to no one, you're stubborn. See, as you look at God's word, there is an unhealthy dependence and there is an unhealthy independence. If everybody has a say in your life and and you throw out on social media, you put a post out, what should I do? And you get 37 answers and now you're conflicted because you're not sure what to do. You are submitted to too many people. Too many people can have a say in your life. Too many people can try to influence you. That's not healthy. But at the same time, it's not healthy that nobody can speak in your life, that nobody can challenge you, that nobody can encourage you, that nobody can, address, that nobody can direct you. So today, what I want to talk about is us finding this balance that we don't let the wrong people speak into our life and submit ourselves to them, but at the same way, we find the right people to submit our lives to because God uses what they have to say to us to help us in our spiritual journey. If you'll find the right people and submit in the right way, it'll help break the me mentality in your life. Anybody here know that's true? Come on, Lawrence, anybody know that's true? So what I want to do is I want to lean into um, the writer of Hebrews talks about this idea about submission and about the influence and the benefit of living a life submitted to other people. I want you to notice what he says in Hebrews chapter uh, chapter 3. He says this, verse 7, in verse 8, in verse 12, he says this, That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. Every voice here, Lawrenceburg, online. Let's read this together. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and, say it again, not, and turning you away from the living God. So he's having this conversation. He says, hey, all of us, me, you, doesn't matter how long you've been serving God, doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual journey, doesn't matter your socioeconomic status, doesn't matter how many degrees you have on the wall, doesn't matter how many Bibles you have in your house. He says, what I want you to hear is that all of us run the risk of being deceived. If you're taking notes, deception is a dilemma. And all of, us are, all of us are prone to be deceived. You can be deceived and so can I. Let me give you just lots of examples that we can all lean into. Think about the things that you believed as a kid that you know now are absolutely not true and foolish. I mean, and you believed it as a kid. Now, you got to be a little old for this first one. you got to have some gray from back in the day. Number one, anybody remember, were you, anybody here old enough to remember you were told if you sit too close to a television screen, you'll go blind? Come on, now kids got tablets like this 24 hours a day. <laughs> sit too close to a TV, you'll go blind. That's a lie, and you believe that. Your parents believe that. How many people here ever believe that if you swallow watermelon seeds? Come on, some of you got, got in, it took till you got to college, but it started growing. Anybody ever hear this? If you cross your eyes and someone hits you in the back of your head, don't stay that way. Come on, you cross your eyes on somebody, you're watching, you're six, like I ain't letting anybody behind me. I ain't getting stuck like that. Here's one. Come on, here's one. Some of you are adults and you know this isn't true, but you still believe it. You won't pick a toad up because toads shouldn't be picked up because if a toad pees on me, get morts. 
Come on. Some of you see a toad and you're like, Junior, put that down. Come on. We live in a society and a culture that operates on the principle of deception. Every single day of my life, every day of my life, I get text messages and I get emails of people trying to fish me. People trying to get me to give them some portion of my information so they can take some portion of my money. Every day. Every day. Some of you, in fact, you've gotten these emails and some of you have made some Nigerians' life better. That's the primary place that this comes from is Nigeria. A lot of us, probably most of us in this room, most of you in Lawrenceburg, we've gotten this email where there's this person, they're in Nigeria, and they have an inheritance of $24 million, but they can't access it because they don't have $2,000. But if you'll give them $2,000, when they get the $24 million, they'll give you $2 million. Some of you can't give them $2,000 fast enough. And do you know why that scheme still works? Because some of us are still easily deceived. We believe it, even though it doesn't make sense. I just, uh, this literally just happened. In fact, I wish I would have saved it. I would have shown you the conversation because it's funnier than I'm going to be able to relay it to you today. Um, about a week ago, I had opened up my Facebook Messenger and I had realized that a lady at my previous church, uh, I've not talked to her in at least 10 years, had tried to call me on Facebook Messenger. Now, I missed the call, so I just responded. I put, hey, are you okay? What's up? And I noticed later that day that I missed the second call. And I thought, okay, something must really be wrong. I mean, I've not talked to her in a decade. She's trying to call me. So I sent her another message and said, hey, is everything okay? What do you need? Well, finally, she sent me a message and said, I'm really in a tough place. Um, I just need some money. Can you help me? Now, sure, I can help you. And so I answered this person's question, and I said, I don't have a lot of money, but I can give you $250 right away. Would that help? And they said, absolutely. And I said, well, can I Venmo you the money? Or would you prefer I can just give you my bank credentials and you can just log in and get it? I mean, zzzz. Are you fishing me or am I fishing you? I mean, and I, this conversation went on for like, you know, 20 lines. And finally, I'm like, listen, I'm not a moron. I told this person, you need to quit trying to steal people's money. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to repent because you're going to stand before Jesus one day. Now, I'm just telling you, listen, listen, listen. I know you don't want to admit this. But do you know why people keep doing that, Lawrenceburg? Do you know why? Because it works. Because we are all people who are prone to deception. Deception is when you believe something that isn't true or you don't believe something that is true. Now, while I hate that people are losing money getting fished on foolish scams, and while I hate that some of you are still believing that toads can give you warts, something of far further and far deeper consequences is deception about God, deception about who he is. Deception about who you are. Deception about salvation. And the writer of Hebrews recognizes because deception is a real dilemma that all of us are prone to be deceived. He says, listen, he says, think about this. The nation of Israel, God's people, when they left Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years on the way to the promised land. Some of you know the story. If you don't know the story, here's what you need to know is that God every single day took care of the nation of Israel. Man, sometimes we're not sure. Like, what do I do? Do I go right or left? Do I take that job or this job? Do I date this person or this person? The Bible says that God led the nation of Israel at, with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Wouldn't you love a pillar of fire to lead every decision you make every day? God provided DoorDash donuts every single morning they woke up to manna from heaven. Google Eats brought, brought meat, quail every single night. And then you know what? In the middle of God leading them and God providing them daily, the Bible says their hearts got hard and said, we don't trust God. 
He brought us out here in the wilderness to die. How could you believe that? Deception. Contrary to what they saw, contrary to what they experienced, they believed something that wasn't true. The writer of Hebrews says you better be careful that you don't get the same hard heart, the same unbelieving, the same sin heart. Jesus talks about this. Jesus warned his own disciples. Think about this. They lived with Jesus for three years, morning, noon, and night, went where he went, sat under his teaching in a most intimate level. And Jesus himself said, be careful that your heart doesn't become hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. So if the nation of Israel, who God provided for morning, noon, and night for 40 years can get hard-hearted, if Jesus' own disciples can get deceived, the writers of the New Testament over and over and over and over again, this warning is given. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Which tells me if Israel can be deceived, if, God's, if Christ's disciples can be deceived, if we're warned not, be, not to be deceived, the issue is that deception is a real dilemma for all of us. You say, not me. Well, let's get past fishing schemes and let's get past Israel and the disciples. Let's just talk about us for a minute. Have you ever known somebody that's addicted? Maybe it's you and your family's falling apart and your finances are falling apart, but you're like, hey, I don't have a problem. Your marriage is on the rocks. Your spouse is currently talking to a divorce attorney and your head's in the sand. We're good. You're deceived. You're living a lifestyle that culture okay, but Christ said no way, and you're deceived like you're just running full board, doing what you want to do because it feels good because culture said it's okay. You're dating somebody who's beating you, but they love me. You're deceived. See, what I'm telling you is that all of us, including me, including you, everybody here in Florence and everybody in Lawrenceburg, we've all been deceived at some point in our life, and there are real consequences that we got to talk about. And so how do, you, how do you maneuver the deception that's a dilemma for all of us? Submission is a solution. Submission is a solution. I want you to notice what the writer goes on to say. Watch this in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. He says this. I want every voice, everybody here, everybody in Lawrenceburg, if you're online, I want us all to read this together, every voice. You must warn every Come on, y'all got to help me. I'm doing all the work up here. All you have to do is show up and sit down. I'm doing all the heavy lifting. Lift your part. Ready? One, two, three. Come on, say it together. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. He's saying the same way it happened to the nation of Israel, the same way it happened to the disciples. Deception's a real dilemma, and the way we navigate it, the way we overcome it, submission's a solution that we got to have each other in our life. We have to have people that see what we don't see and say what we need to hear. How many people in this room, when you watch movies, some of you are like quiet, you don't say a peep, whatever. How many people here, when a movie's on, like you're talking the whole time, come on, that's me. Anybody here, when a movie's on, you're saying all the movie lines with the movie, Shawshank Redemption, I'm talking more during the movie than the guy is in Andy's head. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you say all the movie lines. Here's one. Anybody else, when you watch a movie, especially like if there's a bad guy, a person walks in a room and the guy's under the bed, you're like, don't go in there. He's behind the blinds. Are you, are you an idiot? Anybody here screaming, hoping they'll hear you and turn around? Come on. Listen, I'm telling you, if, my, if, it's, if it has Jason, Michael Myers, or Freddy Krueger, I don't care how fast you run, how slow they walk, he's going to catch you. 
This is a fact. And we're screaming at the TV, but here's what's crazy. Watch. Do you know why we do it? Because we know what they don't know. And we're trying to say what they need to hear. And if you do it to TV that isn't real, trying to somehow influence the outcome of this show, how much more important is it that we have each other in our life that are screaming and saying what we need to hear? So the, the writer Hebrews is saying like, hey, you need, you need each other. Do you know why? Do you know the same way? And this is so crazy. Think about this. Do you know how clear it is for us to see the outcome of decisions of our friends? We can see it so clear when it's going to end bad. We can, see it. we can see divorce before they see it. We can see addiction before they see it. We can see fallout before they see it. We can see it before they can see it. Do you know the same perception you have about other people, other people have about you? That the direction you're heading, the decisions you're making, they can see that oftentimes it's going to turn out bad before you see it. And so because the writer is so aware of that, the deception is so subtle, it creeps in so easily. He says, hey, submission's a solution. If you're going to bypass deception, if you're going to live the life Jesus wants you to live, if you're going to live a God-honoring life, then you need to make sure that you have people in your corner that are saying what you need to hear and seeing what you can't see. And so here's the question I want to ask you. Who are, who's the each other in your life? Who is the each other in your life? I can tell you this, that I would not be the person I am today if I didn't have each other's in my life. There's been pastors in my life. There have been friends in my life. Here's what you need to know. I'm the lead pastor of this organization. I can do whatever I want to do. I can come when I want to come. I can go when I want to go. I, if I don't want to come in, I don't have to come in. I can do whatever I want. And that's not a good thing. As an organization, if you've ever wondered, we are pastor-led, staff-guided, and elder-protected. What that means is I set the pace and the direction of this organization. But I do it surrounded by pastors who love me and care about the direction of this organization and care about you. And so they're there to help filter my decisions. And we have a board of 10 board members, five elders, and five trustees that oversee the ministry and the finances of this organization. You know what I tell them when they come on the board? You may not like this, but this is what I tell them. Your job is not to do what you want to do. Your job is to help me do what God's called me to do. Unless, unless wisdom or God's word are in your heart, you know that's not a good decision. Then I need to hear that. Which means is I can do whatever I want to do. I can live autonomous and independent. It's not wise because autonomy often leads to catastrophe. It happens in churches all the time. I've intentionally surrounded myself with pastors and friends and elders and trustees that have the right to say, that's not a good idea, pastor. Let's have a conversation. That's the best way to live, even though it's not the easy way to live. Who is the each other in your life? You can hear a pin drop at the end of the place. <laughs> Here's what's crazy is the word deception, if you're taking notes, the word deceive means to roam. Imagine it's a picture of a road. A person is deceived when they roam off the path. They're no longer on the road. They're off the beaten path. But when the writer of Hebrews says that we're to warn each other, do you know what's the, what, it, what the picture is? It's a picture of calling someone back to the path. Let me tell you why, that's, why I think that's pretty cool is because being a Christ follower or being a person of faith, Jesus said, and throughout the New Testament, it's called being people of the way. We are people of the path. We are following, we're following in the footsteps of Jesus. We're following his path. We are covered in the dust of our rabbi. We're following him so close. We're, as he walks, we get covered in his dust. And when you're deceived, you roam from the path. And when you have friends who are not willing to settle for your deception, but are bold enough to call you back to the path, that's what it means to get back on the road. Have you ever wandered from the road? And have you ever had a friend call you back? 
I've spent a large part of my ministry in 30 years in phone calls, in conversations, in text messages, in Facebook messages, calling people back to the path. Who's your each other? See, this isn't an adult conversation. This is, you can be, you can be a first grade and you need each other's in your life. You can be in junior high and you better have some each other's in your life. You can be in high school or college or you could be 60 plus, 70 plus, 80 plus. Deception is real for all of us and we all need each other's in our life. Submission is a real solution. Even when you hear what you don't want to hear, when you hear what you hope you don't hear, submitting yourself to someone else is the easiest way to get out of deception. Now, here's what I want to talk about for a minute because I recognize that we live in a culture that if somebody challenges what we're doing, our first response is what I've already said. We think it. We may not say it because we're now we're old, but you're not the boss of me. You know what we also think? Who are you to judge me? You can't judge me. And we live in this culture that has co-signed the no-judge policy. And we even have a scripture to back it up. Jesus said, judge not. Well, yeah, I mean, if you stop there, let's be clear and let's have an adult conversation. Faith Church, you ready for an adult conversation? Yeah. Jesus said, don't judge, but that's not all he said. What he said was, don't judge until first you look in your own eye. Once you got your house in order, not that you're ever perfect because none of us will ever be perfect, but once you have your house in order, which means this, not that you're perfect, but that you're loving. I'm not warning somebody else or judging somebody else to try to put them down. I'm trying to lift them up. Can we have a hard conversation? So we're not to judge people and because if you measure out judgment, it's coming back to you. The same way you measure, measure out judgment to someone else, God said, I'm going to measure it to you. And I don't know about you, but I want a lot of grace coming my way, so I, I like to give a lot of grace but it still means hard conversations. Here's what God's word does say about judging. Y'all ready? I'm going to show you this. If you don't want to see it, close your eyes because you can't unsee this. Some of you are going to be mad because I pointed this out to you. Last chance, close your eyes or watch. Okay, here it goes. Listen to what the apostle Paul says about us judging each other. You ready? Every voice, read it with me. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Some of you just got permission. Some of you going to be in the lobby with like a line of like five people next. Some of you got a list. Can we have a conversation? Notice what he says. Verse 13, God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, He's saying part of, part of this thing we do of following Jesus is not a group of individuals coming to a building on Sunday. It's about a tribe. It's about a crew. It's about some ride or dies. It's about people that have each other's backs. And I, I can't know thousands of people. And a lot of you are too far from me. I don't know. You've never met you. You can't have my back. I hope you pray for me. We can pray for each other. What I'm telling you is we all need a small circle, of group of friends that love us, that care for us, that are willing to say the things we don't want to hear. I don't want to hear it, but I need to hear it. That can see what you can't see. That can say what you need to hear. We all need each other. Now, we live in a culture and society that says you can't judge each other, but Paul clearly says it's our job. It's part of our calling as Christ followers to judge each other. We're to judge insiders, not outsiders. That's the crazy part is we want to judge the world, not your place to judge the world. He says, God will do that. We're to judge insiders, not outsiders. Brothers, not others. Believers, not unbelievers. Which means when we see what other people don't see because we're close enough to them, because we're in relationship with them, that we're to speak up. 
And the worst thing you can do is buck up, tighten up and say, you're not my boss or you can't judge me. I have found one of the most effective things to keep me on the path of my spiritual journey is people that love me enough to speak the truth. People that are willing to say the hard things. People that are willing to have conversations that I'd rather not have. And Jesus said, that was my idea all along. Get in a group. Find a tribe. I thought about this, this idea. When I lived in the world, I was very good at being worldly. I was great at it. I was a lot of fun to hang out with back then. There's a good chance you won't get home till late. You may not get home at all, and we might have a run-in with the law, but it'll be fun. I was good at partying. I was good at carrying on. I was good. I'm telling you, I was good at it. If I was on a report card, I got an A++. I got a superior. And do you know why? Because I had lots of support. Some of you, same story. We're good at being worldly because we had lots of support. Man, I, friend, I had friends just constantly around me. And if one of them were slacking off that weekend, you better believe they're going, what do you mean you're staying home? Come on, man, let's go. We're going to shut the club down. We're about to have some fun. What do you mean you ain't drinking tonight? Do you know how many people I coaxed into getting high and coaxed into getting drunk? How many people coaxed me into party and coaxed me into bad decisions? And I did it, and I loved it because I had lots of support. Here's a question. If I was good at living worldly because I had lots of support, you better believe you better have lots of support if you're going to live godly. Who's your support to live godly? Who's the person not talking you into stuff but talking you out of stuff? Who's the person not pushing you in but holding your shirt and pulling you back? Because I'm just telling you, if you're like, I'm smart enough, I know the Bible well enough, eh. If Judas could live with Jesus for three and a half years of his life and see the miracles and hear the teachings and still be deceived, so can you. So can he. So who's your each other? At Faith Church, one of the things we do is we try to we try to program connect groups. I'm just going to be honest. Even though it's one of our core values, we are so bad at this. Our staff, we wrestle with it and talk about it. And here's why. Because you can't force friendship. You can put 12 people in a room. Don't mean, they'll like, don't mean they'll like each other. But if you don't have any friends, we're getting ready to launch our connect groups. We got some online. We got some in person. I dare you to get in a group. If you don't have a group, let us offer you a group. Because at least it's structured, it's consistent, and you'll, there'll be people there to have spiritual conversations. You need to be able to look at somebody that you love and care about and say, hey, can we talk about that? Can we have a conversation about that? And you need to have somebody who can do that for you. And so if you're not in a connect group, you're not connected, let us help you. You can go online at igotofaith.com. You can click the tab or go backslash groups, front slash, there's a conversation what that is, slash groups. And sign up, find one, online or in person. If you don't want ours, that's okay, but find somebody, find people who love Jesus at least as much as you do. That's a prerequisite. They gotta love Jesus at least as much as you. Some of you, that's, never mind, anyways. But they can help you. And if we'll get the right each other's in our life, if we'll honor that submission's a solution, deception will become less of a dilemma. Because we'll have people seeing what we can't see and saying what we need to hear. And that's what Jesus always planned. 
the women getting ready to do another garden gathering this Friday. It's a much bigger group, but it's a great place to make some friends. Ladies, come out. It's an opportunity for you to build relationships and friendships and be empowered in your spiritual journey. So whether it's our connect groups, garden gatherings, our youth have C groups, lots of opportunities for all of us in Lawrenceburg and Florence for us to find the solution to the problem of deception. So Father, we love you, God. Thank you for, God, I pray that we would hear your word today, that this thing on the inside of us that doesn't believe we can be deceived, or God, we're good living independent. I pray we would push back against it and we would live lives of mutual submission. God, help us to find friends and help us to be a friend. Help people to say what we need to hear and give us boldness to say what they need to hear. That God, we can be the people that you've called us to be and walk on the path you've called us to walk on. Father, we love you and we thank you for it. Listen, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to make a call to the path. I want to invite you to make Jesus the Lord of your life. The Bible says we've all sinned. All of us have messed up. All of us have made mistakes. And our sin separates us from God. But he loves you so much, he made a way to bridge the gap of separation. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to take your sin, to carry your shame and your guilt so you could be reconnected with your creator. He loves you enough to die for you. Nobody else has ever done that or ever can do it. It's only Jesus. And if you'll ask Jesus to forgive you, to be the Lord of your life, it'll change who you are forever and it'll put you on the path. And so I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. If you are here in Florence or in Lawrenceburg, you're watching online and you wanna give your life to Christ, you can pray the words I'm about to pray or you can just call out to God in your own words and he will hear you and he will answer you and he will save you. You can say, Jesus, I ask you today to forgive me for all my mistakes and all my sin. I put all my hope in you as my savior. I believe you died for me. Will you come into my heart and help me to follow you for the rest of my life? In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen.